Hi, welcome to Your Greek Story, where we chat with entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders who live by passion and perseverance to make the future a reality. Let's be inspired by the stories as you create Your Greek Story. Welcome to Your Greek Story. Um, today, we have uh, Regina Tan, co-founder of Immortalize, uh, with us today. Very exciting, right? Which is talk about last mile of life marketplace. So that's really close to my heart, right? Because my wife uh, is a palliative nurse, right? So we're still looking at last mile of life. So uh, I had a few chats with Regina earlier, but I really love uh, Regina to share her story, right? In this channel, in this episode. So Regina, um, for people who don't know you yet, how will you introduce yourself? Okay, so I used to be a journalist at Bloomberg. I was based in Beijing. I was based in Hong Kong. I interned in Singapore and things like that. So what happened was uh, I was in Hong Kong back then, and I suddenly I was at the peak of my career in the sense, well, height of my career in the sense, and um, I suddenly fell sick, and that's kind of. You know, uh, when you're really young, you know, career-minded, career-driven, ambitious, and all this kind of stuff, and suddenly you, you never thought that you could, you know, suddenly fall sick and the world could crumble. So, long story short, um, I, I was sick in the sense that I was actually preparing for my death in case you know something happens. I was trying to look up, you know, how to do my will and all this kind of stuff. And that was when I realized it was so hard. Being a millennial myself, you know, I'm spoiled with doing everything digital in the sense that I could. Order Uber. Then, uh, well, in Hong Kong, it's Uber. Uh, basically, get an Uber uh, online. I can do my groceries online. I top out shop everything. Literally, I don't need to leave my house. And the fact that you know I can't really find any comparison or information uh, very clearly in terms of how I should be doing my will, what I should be doing. So I actually realized, for example, that you know, I just just to give you one example, because I was based in. I was studying in Australia, so I've assessed in Australia, Beijing, Hong Kong, Singapore. You know, a little bit of money, not a lot, but in any case, um, that I can't just do a Hong Kong will and it covers everything. It doesn't work that way. So, uh, long story short, I basically decided not to do my uh, death planning in that sense. Um, quit my job, came back to Singapore, was trying to figure out, you know, what I should be doing because I got a second chance line in the sense that I kind of recovered. I wanted to find something that I'm really passionate about of doing, so I don't want to waste this second chance in life. So, in any case, um, that's how I, it comes about uh, in terms of. Um, so I decided. So I started a bit researching more about you know what we, how people should be doing. So Immortal has actually started on something called Will on Blockchain because at that point in time we were very you know kind of big on blockchain. There was this whole blockchain hype. I mean, even now there is. Um, but we actually did about two years of survey with users, with people, normal people, and also with law firms and everything. And what we realized was that the market doesn't really need product. There's actually a lot of last mile of life planning product. There's a lot of digital will. There's a lot of will provider, uh, estate planning, legacy planning kind of providers. What the market really needed was, you know, uh, information or all this information, uh, all this kind of stuff. Like for example, you ask any random person, you know, do you know who can do a will? How much does a will cost? How much does a lasting power attorney cost? Or how much, you know, and all this kind of stuff and people wouldn't have idea. So the idea of Immortalize is to basically take all this information and make this industry transparent and also very easy for people to kind of um, book the whole process. Not just will, it's the whole last mile of life. For example, on our platform, you can take a look. Uh, we have will, lasting power of attorney. If you have dispute, if you have mental capacity issues, or even funerals, insurance, financial products. Um, the idea is we do not want to create any products per se, but we just want to make it very easy for people to do their last mile of life planning. So sorry, that's a very long story to a introduction. All good, all good. I think it's yeah. good. It's, it sounds like a, 
a one-stop solution or kind of all in one place where you yes. have uh, lots of you know last mile of life um, solutions in a way, right? Um, and and you, you spoke you spoke about uh, you have a second chance uh, of life, right? Can you tell yeah. us more about that? Yeah. So, um, well, you know, it's a little bit cliche because you know how people say, oh, you should really you know treasure your time. Life is short. All this kind of stuff. I mean, when you're in your twenties or early thirties, it's like, oh, the world is not gonna end. You know, it's like you have infinite time. It's only when you actually experience death, near death situation yourself, or have someone die. Uh, most people would not, you know, that's kind of cliches, but you don't really feel it or understand it. And that was a point in time when I recovered. I was uh, so when I was uh, sick, I felt that I had a lot of things that I haven't done. I'm like, oh, I haven't done this. I want to do that and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, okay, I, you know. Um, but you were really uh, focused on kind of like getting well. Um, so after I got well, you know, you kind of learn the lessons from um, that sick experience and. Yeah, so, and then I decided that, you know, uh, so I think one of the hard part was, you know, I was in a very comfortable job. Bloomberg pays me really well. You know, the, the welfare obviously, how do you quit and do something really risky? Because a startup is really risky. You don't have a defined kind of outcome. You don't know whether people will be supporting. And along the journey, you're going to get, you're going to get rejected all the time. So I think that was the, the hard call. But with this whole death experience, uh, that really helped push me in a sense. I don't want to waste any time anymore. You know, I really want to kind of like do something that, you know, the worst thing to do is to wake up and hate Mondays. That's my personal opinion. Like, I really want to leave every day, looking forward to every day, waking up, oh my God, I'm doing this thing so exciting today, kind of stuff. So that, that to me was the second time in life where, you know, to do something that I truly am passionate about. Again, very cliche, but you know, uh, after being through what I've been through, to me, did I really do feel it this time round when people talk about all these cliches? Yeah. Nice. Um, so you were in a well-paying job in Bloomberg, right? And mm -hmm. then you worked uh, really hard, uh, and then you fell sick, right? Because probably overworking, maybe, right? Um, perhaps. And I perhaps, don't know. right? My, right? my uh, boss that... might kill me because <laughs> <laughs> Bloomberg has really no, good I mean, yeah. In this world, it's normal to overwork, right? It's normal, it's normal to overwork and, 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 you know, work 10 hours a day and kind of things or even 12 hours a day, right? Uh, and then you fell sick, really sick. And then you have a yeah. second chance of life. And that brings you to kind of uh, want to build something really meaningful, which is immortalized, right? Right. Nice. So, um, what does immortalized really mean? Why this, I ask this question because I'm really curious why, how founders name their companies, name their start, startups. So, immortalized is kind of a, a little bit of a new word to me. So, right. what does it really mean? Okay, um, <laughs> so the funny part is that um, basically immortalized, if the definition wise, it basically means, you know, uh, try to make something remembered forever kind of situation. So in our context, for example, when we we're coming out with names, so me and my partners and uh, we were like just brainstorming different names. And I actually initially immortalized was just a placeholder because we didn't really have a better name. But over time, we kind of grew to like it and all this kind of stuff. But the idea is that, for example, your legacy, for example, your life, it shouldn't be just, you know, your 80 years, 90 years, however long people live these days. But in any case, it, so the idea is that, so for example, you know, when uh, I fell sick and quit my job, I wanted to make an impact. Okay, it could be to me, to my family, to the greater society as a whole. I mean, I'm not the really altruistic kind that says I want to save the world. I mean, it would be great if I can, but it doesn't like, you know, I don't start out that way. And I don't think most people would start out that way trying to save the world. It's always about yourself first uh, before you think about the bigger picture. But in any case, um, basically, we want to immortalize your legacy 
in that sense. We want to make what is your legacy? What do you want to be remembered by forever? It may not be to everyone in the world because yeah, but at least you know you have made an impact in this world. Uh, you don't leave. You know, you are just a passing by kind of situation. Could you? Would you? Do you want to make an impact? So that's kind of what、uh, the whole legacy planning, last mile of life planning is. Is that when you start, for example, when you're thirty, thirty, thinking about, you know, the angle. When you have a clear picture of where the angle is,、um, you might, you know, you see that at the end of the day, everybody dies eventually. Kind of situation. You might actually change your thinking in terms of what's important now. By by thinking about death, you start realizing what in、uh, what's important right now is the material stuff important. Yes, to some, no to some. That could be my legacy. I want to be a fashion kind of fashionista. I'm not, but in any case, I'm saying like, you know, it doesn't matter what. But at the end of the day, what do we want to be immortalized as? We remember forever as kind of situation. So that's kind of what、uh, immortalizes. When you think about death, you start learning or treasuring what's learning about what's important to you. Wow, that's a very deep topic. You know, like <laughs> you know, like what's important to a person. You know, I think I believe everybody has a story or, or has a、mm. has a legacy that they want to immortalize. They really want、yeah. to be known for in their life, right? Yeah.、Um, that's great. That's good inspiration.、Um, so,、uh, did you start this alone? You know, who are your any co-founders? You know, how do you meet them? You know that. Yeah. Right.、Um, okay, we have a.、Um, Uh, inside story and official story, but in any case, the inside <laughs> story is that、uh, basically what happens was I was doing Arco then. I, that's when kind of when I know you.、Uh, so basically, these two friends of mine, uni friends of mine, basically they were experiencing kind of like、um, estate planning issues themselves. Why is it so difficult? Why can't I just do it online? Same same kind of situation. That's why Mortalize started as a will online will on a blockchain. So we started off trying. So they they came to me more because、um, you know I was doing branding and stuff. They were trying to figure out you know whether we could. Make this work. How do we actually, you know, gain the publicity? Do this and things like that. So,、um, but after talking to them more about what they're doing,、uh, they are doing. I felt personally very、um, passionate about this cause because I had to go through the death process as well, and I was trying to do my death planning, and it was insanely crazy. Like I mean, to give people an example, that's why I always did. I mean, now for example, when we did our、um, uh, pricing, so on Immortalize website, you can actually see the pricing of all the different providers, including the details of what the pricing includes. And when we first started doing this, it was really about mystery calling. I mean, you cannot go onto any law firm's website and, and find a price. Pretty much, you can't. I mean, there's one or two now these days that put it up, but. Traditionally, they don't, and they are very opaque about pricing. But、um, and I mean, for user-wise, you go to lawyer, you never know how much you charge. In fact, in our survey, we did our survey with、uh, users. For example, most people expect a will to cost several thousand. But I mean, if you're an average person, actually, the the, the truth is that it's about three to five hundred dollars, sing dollars. But in any case,、um, so I felt personally very passionate,、uh, relatable to this startup idea.、Um, so I said, hey. I would like to participate and do. I'm not sure what I can contribute. Maybe branding, maybe marketing. I'm not too sure. But in any case, it started from that. But it evolved、uh, to. So after I told you, we did two years of surveys, talking to lawyers, talking to users, and everything, and we kind of finally realized that okay, will on blockchain is not the solution to that. People are actually facing is actually the whole information. How do you? What information do you have? How do you reach out? How do you search, compare, and things like that? So that's why the marketplace. So.、Um, So one of the original uh, um, founder per se became an investor. The other one became became an advisor, and we actually I actually onboarded another friend of mine 
Heidi, okay, who is now the CEO of Immortalize, she actually came to we can well, we kind of design uh, created the products together and launched it together. I mean, she joined later on in the process, but um, but I will also consider her her a founder in the sense because we launched the product together, which was launched about seven months ago or so, seven or eight months ago. So uh, soft launch, yeah. So nice. um, so yeah, so that's the story of how uh, it came about. That was a question, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a standard uh, question and answer as well. Um, and and how how do you meet? Uh, it's a her, I believe, right? Yeah, Heidi, Heidi, yes. Yeah, Heidi, right? So what do you, how do you meet her? I mean, is it? So Heidi was my childhood friend. So we knew our our dads know each other since young. So our dads are both entrepreneurs. Um, we were in the flower business and anything. Any case, uh, so Heidi and I were, were childhood friends. So we knew each other from young. So when I was in Hong Kong, we you know we, we catch up really often every week, every fortnight or something along that line. And um, COVID strike. So, I mean, uh, the family decided to close the, the family business. So she was helping out in the family business. And I really liked what she was doing because she was, I mean, I'm not sure if you know the flower industry is very, very traditional. It's very traditional. I mean, you have some new startup, but other than that, the whole supply chain is very traditional. So she was actually innovating in a really traditional industry. And that was what really, um, um, what I really appreciate about her. Because for, for example, the last mile of life industry, your funeral industry, your legal industry, I mean, you have all this stuff, they say they are super tech digitization, but in the estate planning area, like for example, legal industry in the estate planning, they are not digital at all. I mean, like some of the law firms before, lawyers before COVID, they haven't even used a video conferencing before. That's how bad work and tech. So our challenge is really to make this really, I mean, in, in the funeral industry, some of the funeral directors, for example, they still use SMS. I mean, when is the last time you, you put out an SMS kind of situation, right? Like, um, so, but in any case, what I'm saying here is that we are actually trying to make a very, very backward industry digitized. So that was the hard part for one. And I knew I needed someone who, who is used to working in a, a traditional industry because you find someone who is in the tech industry, for example, they'll get frustrated really easily. When you're trying to change things in a really traditional industry, the, the kind of fatigue that you get because you're going to keep saying no, people don't understand. Like things like digital to us is so obvious, but to the traditional industry, it's not. This is not how the things are done and we would like to keep it this way. So you get a lot of that at the beginning. I mean, now it's a lot better especially with COVID for us. So COVID was good for us in the sense for business, in that sense. Um, of course, not good for people in general, but in any case, um, yeah. So so that was why, uh, you know, we, we grouped together in a sense. Because when I was in Bloomberg, for example, I was covering structured products. Basically, structured products in the industry, I'm not too sure how much the audience know. Basically, the more opaque the market is, the more the money the bankers make kind of situation. So my, my job back then was to convince people to tell me, you know, uh, um, to open up in the case where it's against their interest in some sense. So I'm trying to find, basically I have to find, you know, a win-win-win situation for everybody. And that's exactly what's happening now where, you know, uh, basically, you know, the more opaque, the more people don't know, the more potentially these providers can charge. Because you don't know what is the price out there anyway, and most people won't do the comparison. So uh, we're trying to basically create some sort of reasons for them to be transparent, open about their pricing and information and also digitize. So uh, that's a particular kind of perseverance and skill set that I thought Heidi had that was similar to me in some sense. And that's kind of how we got together. And for her, it was a great, you know, uh, new thing to do. Um, and she was really excited, I hope. <laughs> she was really mm -hmm. excited about you know, joining the whole startup scene, which is really different from the whole traditional flower industry, for example. Nice, interesting. So you talk about 
um, you spoke about um, transparency as well, right? You spoke about kind of digitizing the whole uh, industry. Um, are there any friction, right, or any challenges you face, you know, doing that? Uh, for example, uh, there might be some industry standards that they don't want, they don't want to kind of put down their price out there and all that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, um, the whole idea of transparency doesn't really ex- exist as much. Okay. Um, well, they, they want to be transparent in terms of being seen out there, but at the same time, uh, they, they want to kind of like um, keep their margins. I mean, for every business, it's the same, right? The more transparent you are in pricing, people will compare. And then if you are not as competitive in terms of pricing, people will not come to you. And it's kind of like most, the, the biggest fear that I guess the legal industry or, or any like OPEC industry has is that it will be a competition to the bottom. Because if everything is, if it's a commoditized product, meaning it's the same standardized product throughout, um, people will be competing for the lowest price and basically you're competing downwards. Because at the end of the day for our users, right, if you can compare, you always go for the cheapest if everything else is the same. Which is why, for example, for the, the pricing, we don't just give a number, we give you what's included the pricing. So, so, uh, so that's something that I, I usually, so for example, this is the way, one way I have to convince lawyers to kind of be on board platform. What you're providing is advice. It's not a commoditized product. You're spending time to help people think through their personal situation. It's a bit different from say an online will where if everything else is the same, you're kind of comparing on, you know, the same stuff. So, um, yeah, so I, I guess some lawyers, for example, are receptive to the idea. Yes, I'm providing a differentiated product. So some lawyers, of course, we, what we feel is that basically because their products are a bit more commoditized, it's more like a factory process that they have. That's why they do want to be transparent because then it's really a, a, a price competition. And for any business, what you don't want is if you sell a commoditized product is that you don't want price competition. So so that's the give and take, right? So in a, in a way, you know, I mean, for any startup, you want the path of least friction. So we tend to go to law firms that feel that they have a differentiating factor compared to law firms that, you know, um, are more, well, I feel like I'm going to be offending a lot of people, but in any case, so basically we try to go for those that, that feel that they have a differentiating factor, that we also feel they have a differentiating factor. So it's easier for us to, to kind of like market them or actually put them on a platform or differentiate them. Nice. Cool. Yeah. So interesting. Uh, Thanks for sharing. So, um, uh, those are on the provider side, right? So, um, do you feel, do you, do you face any challenges on the consumer side, right? Those people browsing, those people looking for, um, you know, to, to com- compare providers and all that? Right. So I, I guess it's not like, for example, you know, so when we created uh, Immortalize at the very beginning, we kind of market, uh, kind of model it over Expedia, Hotels.com, you know, this sort of marketplaces, because we, we felt that people are familiar using this kind of marketplaces. So if we create something similar, they may be familiar with it. But I was so wrong. <laughs> so so wrong on that. So what we realized is not is that, for example, you know, uh, your marketplace, your your hotels.com, you know exactly what you're looking for. You know where you're going. You know you have experience, kind of, you know what you want. Okay. Mm-hmm. But for last mile of life services, you ask people, you know, what's inside a will? Why do we need a will? What is a lasting power attorney? You know, and all what what does it entail in a probate? Most people will have zero idea. In fact, you know how to do legacy planning, estate planning. Most people have zero ideas in it. In fact, what we realize is that, you know, for some of the insurance industry is a lot of agents. So they kind of, uh, these days they are called financial consultants, but in any case, the agent kind of model, the reason why there's so many agents is because people need to be handheld through the process of their estate planning. Um, um, so, so 
that's kind of uh, what we face, the biggest problem we face. But I, I guess, you know, for most people who have been through the death process, or, so to give you a very simple example, you know, probate and administration. So basically when someone passes away, um, the family or kins or appointed executor needs to go to the court to get kind of a grant, either grant of probate or grants of letters of administration. But in any case, probate process. Most people, you know, we, we did a very small sample survey. 100% of the people who have been through the process said they will pay someone else to do it. But, you know, uh, people who have never done it before or kind of know a little bit, they were like, oh, is it very hard kind of situation? So the, the knowledge gap here is really big in terms of what should you be doing to plan for, you know, estate planning. Like, for example, people with kids, they do not know that they need to appoint guardians because in case anything happens with the parents, you know, your kids will be, who's going to take care of the kids? You know, is the family going to fight over the kids or, you know, all this kind of stuff? Like, what happens to the money? So most people don't know, for example, that, you know, uh, if your kid is under 18, they actually cannot take your CPF money. You have to wait until 18. So in the meantime, if you don't have any other assets, what are they going to live on? Kind of situation. There's a lot of this sort of consideration people don't know, don't think about until, you know, someone actually gets into an accident. So we did a survey, for example, like most people who did their will, most people in the 30 plus who did their will is because they have kids, number one. Uh, so and coincidentally, like we, we asked them, we asked them, why did you do this? Why did you and your uh, partner decide to do a will? And they said, oh, because we were in a flight or in the car. So in a the flight, there was some turbulence, and they were they were thinking, oh no, what if both of us pass away? What's going to happen to our kids? So you know that there, there is the, all this kind of life triggering moment. So unless you have been through that, most people don't think about what happens if kind of situation. So I think the knowledge gap for that. Uh, it's the biggest problem uh, that we're facing. Uh, not just us, but any other providers of love, last mile of life services. And that's one of the key things that Mortalize is trying to address. So, for example, if you look on our website, we have a lot of like videos, cartoon videos. The idea is that we don't want to make this whole last mile of life topic uh, morbid. Can we, it's actually, you know, like for example, someone's passing, uh, it's like even a funeral, it's a celebration of someone's life instead of mourning for someone's death kind of situation. It's a change in kind of um, um, thinking. I mean, recently there was this one report out there that says that, you know, more and more Gen Zs, so we, we actually wrote an article on it, more and more Gen Zs are actually um, thinking about funeral mm -hmm. as celebration of life and not the traditional mourning of someone's death kind of stuff. So I guess... That's exactly what we are trying to do in a sense, appeal better to, what, what kind of information can appeal better to the younger generation or older generation or make this topic less taboo, less morbid. Eventually, it's just a fact of life. Cool. Nice. Um, and I think you spoke a lot about um, educating consumers, right? I think something that yeah. reminds me of is like a plumbing service, right? I mean, I would never think about that pipe thing, right? I would yeah. ever think of, oh, preparing a list of, uh, you know, um, what do you call that? Plumbers, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> I would prepare, uh, until the pipe is burst, until the water is flowing out of the toilet, then, well, okay, you know, scramble, you know, Google something, you know, yes. and that's where probably SEO comes in. <laughs> but, yeah, but, yeah. 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 <laughs> and and um, interesting. So what, what what are your plans in, or what have you done in terms of educating, right? Uh, above the, I mean, I love what you're doing on the cartoons, making it friendly, uh, making it formal, uh, informal, right? So yeah. what are the other things that you're doing to educate uh, consumers like me? Right. So, I mean, um, putting, 
articles out there or this kind of thing for any startup that's kind of the basic because it's SEO right but in any case what we were trying to do more it's collaborations so I mean one example is collaboration with Property Guru so why Property Guru because um, so when we spoke to, yeah when we spoke to lawyers and everything and all this kind of stuff basically they, we, we asked also the, the, the providers not just lawyers but other providers at what point do, uh, should we be entering I mean it doesn't make sense when you enter when someone is 18 years old because that wouldn't be at the top of their, their mind so um so a uh, long story short the idea is that basically we got some feedback when someone buys a house usually that's when they should or will start thinking about estate planning reason why i mean when you buy a house with your partner for example the first question is do you go in joint tenancy or tenancy in common what's the implication of all this it really is because when for example if someone passes away the, the kind of inheritance is different based on the two different structures uh, but we won't go through that read our article but in any case uh, but in any case um, so so that's one or when they buy a house is because they have uh, it's their first house so in their mind most for example is their first significant assets it's probably most people's biggest purchase okay um, or if they are trying to upgrade sell their house or to buy another house is because they have kids because then they need to kind of like so at that point in time they have the mental maturity or the kind of triggers to think about how do I protect this asset? How what happens if I pass away? Kind of situation. So that's why we we did a, a, a collab with Property Guru. And right now, for example, we are doing things like cryptocurrency, uh, digital assets. I mean, digital assets for most people are becoming. So we we are still working on the partner part. But in any case, the idea behind so digital assets basically most people are digital assets, cryptocurrency. So for example, if you buy a cryptocurrency in say a US based exchange versus a Singapore. Ex based exchange or UK based exchange will you be subjected to the inheritance tax there something along that line I mean all these things do people know the answer I think most people wouldn't and our situation so like since you buy in the Singapore exchange because we don't have inheritance tax here yet so that the thing is here is that. but in any case the idea is to be present when people are already present they may not be present for estate planning purposes but they're present for other reasons like property group property search so I want to be present there when you know because um, then then in that way I kind of insert the topic slowly to people and kind of integrate myself to to where people are already there anyway so I don't really want to go up to people's face and say you know hey you know, think about that. It's, it's a bit too in your face, but if I can basically use the topics that they already care about, um, I mean, for example, working with a parents group, that could be something. Uh, basically, parents who are looking at, you know, kids and stuff, then they should think about, you know, how should I protect my child and all this kind of stuff in terms of the sex. So um, those are the things that we, we try to look out for in terms of education. So instead of the direct, hey, which most law firms or companies, providers are doing, basically, hey, you should think about that because blah, blah, blah. It's too in your face and I will just reject it. Even for myself, I don't like it when people put it in my face. But if it's a topic that I care about and then you are inserting it, like, oh yeah, I didn't think about the relation to this. Yeah, then it's a lot more palatable. So that's kind of what we think and we are doing in terms of uh, educating people. Um, to be present where they are and then basically help them see the relation of what they care about and... Uh, estate planning. Well, I love what you're doing uh, in terms of collaboration and partnerships uh, with <laughs> yeah. uh, companies, right? I mean, it's natural, right? I mean, people don't really think about that when you when they buy property together as a as a married couple, right? Or investment yeah. purposes, right? So I think that's, I think it's very natural. I think yeah. uh, for for uh, Immortalize to really go in to educate um, these property uh, buyers and investors, right? Mm. Um, and and um, maybe you just bring up, uh, just, just maybe rewind a little bit, right? To just like you mentioned something about um, your dad is also an entrepreneur, 
right? Yeah, um, yeah. How does that really, you know, um, impact you in terms of, you know, um, or motivate you to be an entrepreneur as well? Or is there something that when you were young, you know, was there some inculcation of uh, entrepreneurship values maybe? Um, so, so here's my history, okay? So uh, my parents were together when they were... Uh, so my parents are divorced, but in any case, they were together when they were... Um, starting up the company together and all this kind of stuff. After they divorced, they each started their own company, so entrepreneurs in some sense. And when I was in school, I was actually in entrepreneur club. I mean, I was in many clubs, as in many different things. You know, I was in here, there, I just want my, my hands and everything kind of situation. Uh, but, but one common theme is that both in secondary school and uh, uh, junior college, I was all in entrepreneur club. In fact, when I was in jun uh, junior college, I was in, from AC. Uh, Anglo-Chinese Junior College, but in any case, um, we didn't have Entrepreneur Club there, and I actually wrote in and say, hey, let's start a club and all this kind of stuff, and that's mm -hmm. kind of how it started. Um, so, um, parental influence, definitely there's some in the sense that, for example, if you grow up in a, a, a family where, say, for example, a family of lawyers, you tend to become a lawyer and become more um, risk adverse. I mean, lawyers are generally risk adverse or, or a family of doctor. They, there is always that kind of influence. So from my perspective, you know, my parents has always been more like, do whatever you want, whatever makes you happy kind of stuff. Uh, it would be good you do this, but you can do anything you want kind of situation. Um, so um, to me, there wasn't any limit in terms of what I can do as a person. As in, I'm not being, basically, if you're in a family of doctors, you tend to see, okay, it's more likely that you're going to be a doctor because of the influence that you get. And even when we were young, we are always helping out in my parents' shop and all this kind of stuff. So that kind of like, oh, we are selling, buying, all this kind of stuff, selling mostly. But in any case, um, yeah, so I'm sure there is some influence at the subconscious, but I... I wouldn't say that it's because they're entrepreneur. That's why I want to be entrepreneur. Maybe it's the, the gene part. I'm not too sure. But um, definitely from Yamaha, I've always been entrepreneur in a sense. I want to do something new. I want to do something different. And I tend to question the the masses. I mean, that's kind of why I fit in the journalism space. When someone tells me something, I don't just take it. I'm like, why? Doesn't make sense. And I think most of my friends would classify me as argumentative. <laughs> Well, I'm a lot more tame now, but in the past, like, whatever people say, I want to challenge that. So, yeah, I'm sure every single friend I have would, would agree with what I say, that I tend to be a bit more challenging in that sense. I will always challenge what people say, and that's why I fit well in the journalism world. Um, but for a startup world, it's also good, because when still, like, uh, people will tell me you should do it this way, I'm like, why? We could do it B way, C way. You know, there are many different ways to do the same thing. Just because everyone does it A, doesn't mean we have to do it A. Especially when you're a startup, you have a lot of constraints, money constraints, resource constraints, human constraints, and all this kind of stuff. You have to innovate all the time. So you can't mm -hmm. take the mainstream ways to do things. So just now you talk about, um, um, you know, property investors, you know, property buyers, um, um, uh, in terms of exit planning, right? So for, what's your advice to, what is your advice to young people like me, right? Who is like 30 plus, um, don't know anything about LPA, don't know anything mm -hmm. about OVU, probably not interested. No. What is your advice yeah. to them? Okay, so um, say so. This is kind of how we kind of structure it for people with kids and all this kind of stuff. It, the 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 pitch is kind of pretty obvious. You need to do something in case something happens to your kids. So usually the kid factor is very strong. For those without kids and stuff, we usually you know or, or don't think they have a lot of money. I think that's one of the key reasons why people don't think about estate planning. I don't have a lot of money anyway, so I don't need to do it. Kind of situation. We usually say it's okay, sure, but what about your parents? What about your grandparents? Do you know how difficult it is to do a probate if you do not have 
everything sorted out, the schedule of assets sorted out and all this kind of stuff. So, and it's also going to be more costly. So to give you a very simple, let's talk about lasting power attorney. Okay. So for example, if, I mean, I don't know. Okay. But in any case, um, so with, so basically, I'm trying to think whether I should explain lasting power attorney, but in any so case... just do a simple one. Yeah, I mean, just do a simple one. Yeah, okay, let's do a way, for example. Like, uh, so, what, what I'm trying to say is that, so, like, to give you a very simple example, I, I take my grandma recently, she was into, basically, she fell down and was in the hospital, and we kind of need to make decisions for her and everything, and then the doctor basically said, I cannot take this, uh, she still has mental capacity, I cannot um, take instructions from you, I actually have to get it from her. So, um... In the case where, for example, if she doesn't have mental capacity, you know, if it's not life-threatening and you know, basically there are certain criteria, we may actually need to go to court to get the beauty sheet to basically decide what's going to happen to her, you know, what's going to happen to her kind of like estate and all this kind of stuff. And it's going to take a, a long time. And there might even be dispute between who's actually supposed to be the deputy, who's going to make the decision, this kind of situation. So, um, so then uh, the way we talk to, say, people in their 30s or even 20 years old is that have your parents done their lasting power attorney, their will? You know, usually will is something hard to um, open up and say, hey, you need to do your will, kind of like, because people usually think, oh, my parents might think I, I'm trying to, like, hide their money or things like that. Then we usually go with lasting power attorney first, basically saying, if something happens to you, you lose mental capacity, say dementia. I mean, that's really common these days. Or, you know, you get into accident and everything. You need to decide who makes the decision. So, like, the way I tell my parents, for example, there's four of us. Like, so, I have three siblings. You know, um, the four of us are going to talk through it to decide what happens to my parents anyway. But at, at the end of the day, you need one person to decide or at least sign off on things. So, for example, my younger sister is overseas. You know, it's going to be very hard for, like, all four of us to kind of sign off on the LPA or, sorry, sign off on things together. So, maybe it's better that, you know, while the four of us are going to decide, if maybe it's better to have one person to be the one kind of rounding out, okay, what exactly do mom wants or dad wants kind of situation and be the one signing off. And it's going to be a lot uh, less paperwork in that sense. So, um, yeah, so that, that's kind of where we usually go when it comes to the, the younger generations. If they don't care about themselves, which maybe some don't, but which actually a lot of people don't. They don't think about themselves first, but it's more like you should be thinking about your parents or your grandparents because at the end of the day, if your parents, for example, you know, distribute their, their property to all three of you or all two of you or something like that, you know, if there's any stamp duties when you try to sell to each other and all this kind of stuff, uh, bu sorry, buy from each other, you have to bear it when with proper planning, you may not incur all these additional costs or potential arguments. So one of the things that we always tell people, for example, you know, the parents might have two kids, you leave the house for two kids, you know, um, there will, if you talk to any lawyer, they will always say there's always common arguments. Should we be selling it? Should we be renting out? Should we keep the house? Is someone in the, within the two person needs the house more than the other person? Or there's a lot of this kind of disagreement, but actually you can pre-plan it, all this kind of stuff. Or like when the, the kids, you know, they're not likely going to hold, for example, especially if it's a HDB, you can't hold two HDBs. So you end up having to sell it or you have to buy it from your sibling if you don't have a HDB. Then basically you incur stamp duties and that's something that people don't know. But with proper planning, you can basically um, omit all these kind of additional costs and quarrels and emotional struggles that people don't realize unless you talk to someone who has done probate before. So my advice is, you know, uh, don't wait to probate to figure out that you're actually paying like a lot more money or, you know, incurring also, you know, you and your sibling might be, 
you know, fine. But when it comes to money, especially if it's a lot of money, um, usually that's when, you know, people's true colors start show. Or there's going to be some, she's doing this because she's the executor and she's biased. She's helping herself. She's not being fair. You know, there will be all these questions that comes out. Um, yeah, so that will be, you know, one of the key triggers for um, the younger generation is that if not for yourself or your kids, then it's for your parents and your grandparents. Because at the end of the day, you're likely going to be the executor, meaning the person who has to deal with all this shit that's happening. <laughs> and, and that's in the midst of grief. You know, you're doing all these things. There's a lot of mess, a lot of arguments, a lot of this kind of stuff when you're already really upset that someone has passed away. True, true, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing. So, so just for, you know, um, interest, right? Uh, out of 10 young people, when I say young people, it would probably be below... 40, let's do it pretty far. Out of 10 people, how many people do you think, um, you know, does an LPA or will? Today? Say 10%. Well, that's the industry 10%. number that people give me all the time. So, like, we were asked, like, you know, so how many people? Yeah, so around 10%. Okay, Especially and then, for the younger generation. Right. So, I mean, the population stats, I think it's about 10% or, yeah. So, it depends on what you're saying also, like, yeah. But, so, in any case, I, I would say the ballpark figure, generally people have done something. So that's something, what's that something? That's a different story, right? Like, uh, that's around 10%. Hmm. That's what I read and ask from people or hear from people. I do not have a personal statistics, uh, population statistics myself. Um, but that's kind of what I'm... Um, but, but it kind of um, blends in with the surveys that we have done so far. I mean, it's plus minus. You always have a kind of like a data error, population bias, a statistic, uh, sorry, survey bias or sample bias. Right, yeah. right. But you will look around ten percent plus minus. That's kind of uh, people who have done. I see, I see. And then However, out, the younger you go, the lesser it is. Yeah, correct. That's what, that's what I'm gonna ask. So, so in the whole Singapore, right, uh, including of course sixty years old, seventy years old, uh, what is the percentage like? You know, how many out of ten people in Singapore, how many yeah, people has one. done an LP? Oh, you Sorry? mean LPA? So LPA, I don't LPA, really know yeah. per se because LPA, you kind of need uh, the LPA. Uh, the, the, that the basically public trustee office to kind of like tell you the answer. Um, I think it's public trustee office. Okay, I need to mm. check back on that. Uh, but mm. in any case, uh, okay, I'm not really sure, but we what, what I mentioned was people who have do their will or some sort of estate planning. I think that will be a number that it's more um, visible compared to LPA because LPA then you have to check with the kind of like LPA office kind of stuff. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Great, great, great. Yeah, I mean, take, I mean, thanks for sharing, thanks for your insights. I think uh, I have like a list of like 10 to 20 questions about this, but probably a, another session yeah. <laughs> just to touch the deep dive on this. I think the interesting part of the percentage is that you, if you look at US and Australia, for example, or versus say other, so usually the, the more developed the, the, the country is, the more, the higher the percentage of people have done something, whatever that something is, because maybe some people don't have a will, but they have a trust. Or maybe some people don't have a, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And some countries don't even have LPA. It's not a universal mm. thing. It's a single, it's, it's, it's a few country thing. So, and different countries call it a different thing. But in any case, um, so, uh, and, and the idea is that basically at the rep, for a developing country, the people are more concerned about, you know, survival kind of situation. How do I survive? How do I make sure everybody is fed? And so once we reach a developed stage, like Singapore, for example, then it's more about, okay, retirement, ensuring that you can, especially when we are living longer, it's about ensuring that, you know, you have enough. Say, for example, we retire at 65, okay? And you live to 90 plus, because the average for Singapore is 85 years old, around that, depending on whether you're female or male, but in any case, around 85. And that's 20 years 
of not working. I mean, assuming people don't work after retirement, and that's average, meaning people are going to live to 90 plus. And as you grow older, the medical costs are going to increase and all this kind of stuff, right? And all this kind of stuff. Um, so then, um, um, so like a developed country like Singapore, for example, will be more concerned about um, basically retirement. And then even more developed countries than Singapore, they already passed the stage where they already have basically retirement setting. Then the next step is how to spend it kind of situation do you basically spend how do you spend it do you spend it in elderly home nursing home all this kind of stuff elder care all this kind of stuff or are you going to pass it on kind of situation mm. so that's kind of where immortalized is tackling in that sense so because we feel that singapore is going to start moving into that we have moved past everybody is so now you look at fintech industry everybody's about you know in, uh, retirement you know how do you invest a lot of investment apps and all this kind of stuff so but once you reach that stage where okay everybody is somewhat going to have some sort of retirement how do you spend it so we want to capture the market before we become like australia where they are actually a lot more aware about um estate planning yeah mm, so mm, so that that's kind of uh, where i think it's interesting and where immortalize this place because we want to capture when people transition from okay i can kind of have some retirement money how do i spend it so then we want to capture that part spending on providers on immortalized kind of situation <laughs> <laughs> great yeah I mean, thank you for sharing uh it seems like a mini webinar <laughs> or me you know right. it's kind of ed- ed- you're educating me as well as my my friends out there right the listeners out yeah. there um, let's talk about your journey in immortalized um, you know, what keeps mm. you going, right? I mean, I know there's always um, challenges uh, and hurdles to cross, right? Um, and it's, good, it's, it's tiring. And, and how do you prevent uh, burnout in a way? Okay. Um, so, so one thing that, you know, if you're doing this for money, so that's what, something I always tell people, right? If you're doing for money, there's much better ways to make money. As in stable income, I mean, I wouldn't have left my Bloomberg job. I'm getting paid much more than I am right now. I mean, of course, I have the equity portion of startup. But in any case, uh, if you're looking at money-wise, um, this it's not going to be a motivating factor because you will always find that the grass is greener somewhere else. So now, right now, sitting at where I am, looking at my friends who are like, you know, making a lot of money every month or stable income, you know, they're great bonuses and everything. I'll be like, oh, should I go back to the working world kind of situation? Um, so... Uh, I think for, so I think key thing about startup is also you need the passion. Like you really do feel that what you're doing makes a difference, not just to yourself, but to other people. There's a greater purpose in what you're doing. And I also, this is another cliche thing, but in the time where you get rejected, in the time where you face problem, this passion is going to be the feel that keeps you going. Because if you're just looking at funny, you're going to leave 100%. Uh, that kind of situation and I mean um, so yeah so I, I think at the very basic you know the passion is but with any realistic Singaporean as I am um, of course for me it's an option in that sense yes uh, so during bad times I have my passion to kind of fill me um, and then but of course it's the bigger picture goal for a startup is that hopefully you become a huge gigantic Amazon or a huge gigantic you know tech company eventually that that's kind of the reward that you get it's going to be much bigger than if you do a stable job kind of situation but of course uh it's risk return right it's a much higher risk that you're taking but the return is also much bigger in that sense so um so that's that will be the two part in the sense that if you think about money you know this is higher risk but higher return um but if you you can't do solely on that i mean if you start off as this that's kind of the especially in singapore right now there's this whole startup craze um, so yeah, so that that will be the part. But but at the end of the day, the passion or 
finding meaning in what you do, that's going to be the most important because when you face rejection and all this kind of thing, this is the field that keeps you going. Nice. It's not the money this... part. It's a good factor to think about, but it's not the money part. Cool. That's uh, super inspiring, seriously. I mean, uh, I mean, a lot of young people, you know, want to do stuff because they see the, they see the, the glance of it. Like, you know, like, oh, yeah. uh, they got like 100 million funding or they get IPO, yeah. you know, and, and whatever, right? Or, or SPC, like merger deal or whatever, right? So, so I think this, uh, this is a really good reminder, right? It's really the passion that kind of fuels, right? Um, and kind of keeps you going. Um, so if you, mm. um, if you have a chance, right, to tell yourself uh, that it's 10 years ago, Right, the Regina Tan Tan that is ten years ago, right? What would that be? Yeah. Don't go with it. money. <laughs> so to okay. give you a bit of background, so basically I actually left Singapore to study in Australia and when I went to Australia my first basically the goal was to do astrophysics. So because I have always this fascination about space, even though I was a Singaporean, we are supposed to be very practical, very down to earth, very money minded and all this kind of situation. But in any case, so that was the uh, was my goal, astrophysics. But then, you know, uh, through, during my era, it was not about startups. It was, it's not about tech and everything. It's more about you need to be in consulting, uh, management consulting or in investment banking. If not, your life is ruined kind of situation where you hear our friends or everybody's talking about, you know, getting a job in investment banking, getting a job in finance, getting a job in management consulting, consulting kind of situation. So I actually changed my degree eventually to uh, quantitative finance, which is uh, basically pricing of uh, um, well, structured products in some sense or options or things like that. So um, as finance as my major, but of course I was very specialist in, in derivatives and things like that. But in any case, uh, and really the decision to that, while it was interesting, but a lot of the factor for it was to go with the money. Yeah. So that was one, if I had a chance to tell myself back then is that don't go with the money because if you really do enjoy what you do, I mean, looking back, like with an astrophysics degree and all this kind of stuff, I'm going to go really high as well uh, in today's society, tech society. So, I mean, looking back, that's, that's kind of like why, like even now, for example, we have some NUS student attached to us who came to us and said, hey, that tech is really cool kind of situation. Can we get attached to you? So like, I also tell them the same thing, like, um, you know, go with what you're really interested and in, what you, you know, you want to do exciting because if you do, if you're passionate about what you're doing, you will do well or you will find a way to do well. Um, and that usually would lead to money or if not a very satisf uh, satisfied life kind of way. Either way, you're going to be very happy. So in that sense, um, yeah, so that would be the advice I give myself. Don't don't go with the money uh, because you will be, you may, well, the, the upside is that you got money, but you have a lot more other downsides potentially because you're going for the money, but you're not happy. You're going for the money, you tire yourself out kind of situation. So yeah, go with what you're interested and you never know what will happen. Yeah. Thanks, Regina. Thank you for sharing. That's uh, very insightful. That's super in uh, inspiring as well. Um, could you share with us what's next for Immortalize? You know, what are the plans ahead for, you know, the next six months or the next one year? Wow. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I'm pitching for funding, but anyway. <laughs> no, I mean... So uh... Basically, yeah. Um, so in any case, what we are doing right now, so like uh, for, for us, the roadmap wise, right now we are doing a lot more uh, onboarding providers on the platform, okay? Because at the end of the day, for a marketplace, it's chicken and egg. Do you go with users first or do you go with providers first kind of situation? You cannot, um, so for us, we started off with kind of like providers because without providers, there's no users per se. So in any case, 
Um, so the focus right now is still on providers. Basically, we are creating, we want to create, so right now, if you see on our platform, it's very biased towards law firms, but at the end of lot. At the end of the day, Last Mile Alive is not just about law firms. So we are actually slowly including, for example, even financial consultants. Can you actually compare financial consultants? We want to rate financial consultants because at the end of the day, when you do life insurance or business continuation, it's very hard to buy online because there's a personal factor. You need someone to kind of evaluate, evaluate your personal risk. So that's the key thing. So, um, so we want to allow people, for example, to actually compare financial consultants, financial advisors. We, are, we just onboarded our first funeral director. I mean, it's not really big yet. So we are actually in the midst of changing the platform such that it's a lot more user-friendly. So we started with law firms, but that structure is not going to work for other industries. So at the end of the day for us is we want the users to come in, okay? If you know what you're looking for, you can do a quick search. It's going to be really easy for you to search. And if you don't know what you're look, uh, looking for, we, there's actually a robo-advisor in some sense. So usually people fi uh, associate robo-advisor with finance, but essentially what robo-advisor is, is to automate the, the functions of an uh, advisor using codes and machines and everything. So the NUS team that's attached to us are actually working on the robo-advisor uh, um, project. So basically when you come in, you give me some information of uh, on yourself. For example, do you have kids? Do you have assets in different countries? You know, blah, blah, blah. Where are you based? Because for example, LPA only applies in Singapore. It doesn't apply in a lot of other countries. In any case, um, so once you give me some information, I will tell you what are the products that you need or services that you need, and then who is the relevant provider for you. So that's kind of what we are creating right now, so that uh, because we realize that most people would not know where to start anyway. So if that's the case, assume you're talking to an advisor, okay, uh, but it's a robo advisor. Just give me some information straight away, I can tell you. But if in any case, um, if you ever need, there's always a human you can talk to. To, to kind of tell you what you need or who you should be going to, who's most appropriate for you. Because, for example, if you have like uh, Singapore, Australia, so it's not all of them can do Singapore, Australia. Do they have partners who can do Australia? Can they do Australia kind of situation? So uh, that's kind of the next six months to six months around there. That's what we're working on to make the user experience. So we have slowly gone past the first stage in terms of provider. We are already starting to attract providers. Right now, can we improve the user experience? Because we did our first three to four months of launch, we did a lot of uh, soft testing and user uh, surveys. And that's what, that's, and we, of course we realized a lot of problems that I just mentioned to you. And that's what we're trying to solve now, to make it a lot easier. The moment you come in, you know exactly where you belong. So that, that's what we will be doing for the next six, six months, I guess. Cool! Wow, it sounds it sounds super exciting, right? You know, like you know, it sounds like a, it's an AI for last mile of life planning, isn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you know, people don't use AI like, um, but I find AI a bit okay. So it depends. There's over, a whole range over, of AI. Yeah. So at the very basic of AI, it's just automating tasks. So mm -hmm. I think we are at this area, meaning there's no feedback loop per se to make this AI smarter. In that ah, sense, okay. so we're doing the very so so I mean the the tough part of AI is basically for example your autonomous driving and everything right where yeah. there's a feedback loop they keep learning themselves yeah. and everything but for this mm -hmm. case we don't have a need for now because our the outcome is pretty standard there is only that few defined outcomes so we don't need the feedback loop and all this stuff maybe we need it in future I'm not too sure but as we we do that. So in the next six months, we will be trying to improve the user experience. That's one thing. And the other part, for example, is that we're actually allowing people to track the progress of things. But anyway, that for that will be a longer term thing where essentially what we want to do, the eventual goal is that you come in, not only can you manage and do everything you want, fine, but the execution part. So for, for example, when, when the executor comes in, uh, 
through sync pass or whatever thing that's happening, straight away they can know what exactly is the whole probate process, funeral process, you know, claiming of insurance process, everything you can track and manage it on our platform. So that will be a bigger picture goal. But in any case, um, so yeah, so back to the AI part, maybe that part, there are certain part where the, the end, the, the more sophisticated end of the AI will come in. But right now we are at the very basic end and that's what we think we need for now. And I mean, for every startup, you don't go in trying to build something very complicated first. You start from simple and then you evolve along the way. I think that's more sustainable long-term than trying to come in and do something really complicated and then it doesn't work. Yeah, sounds good. It sounds like an MVP. It sounds like something that's iterative, right? Yes. That you're kind of rolling that out yeah. to test on the market and, and to you know invest more effort into that, right? To grow that even further, right? To really add value to... Um, your clients and the consumers out there, right? Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um. So for our listeners out there, right? Um. You know who are keen to connect with you, maybe want to be part of, you know, immortalize. Uh, how do they connect with you? Um. My email is regina.tan at immortalize.io. <laughs> I have no issues with saying that. But in any case, for immortalize-wise, if you go to our website, there is this blue chat box and people always say, oh, I don't want to talk to robots. Actually, it's humans based there. So, I mean, if we are not available, if you try to message us at 3 a.m. at night, of course, we are not going to be available because it's all live chat. We do not, we, we automate things as much, but we know that this topic, you can't do a robot like it doesn't work. So humans is there to talk to you. Or uh, if not, you can actually go to Immortalized uh, Marketplace. You can book an appointment with us. So just like we want you to book an appointment with all the providers, you can book a customer service call with us. And we basically ask you some questions about, like just like the robot advisor, but it's just a human advisor, ask you some questions about yourself uh, that we need to basically figure out what products you need. What is What do you lack in the whole last mile of life kind of chain? Because there's a lot of things that's happening. And then who is the right one for you? So I guess that's the, the way to contact me slash immortalize. Uh, either way, it's fine. Nice. That's very personal, right? And personal <laughs> chat rather than a rather than a chat what you don't isn't it, you know? <laughs> yeah, because uh, yeah. So I, that's why people go to like, for example, insurance agents mm. and everything. A lot of times it's because of the human touch. Uh, you yeah. just want someone to handhold you and we have no issues with that as in um yeah. So, but we are creating the robot advisor to make the whole process because we also know some people don't want to talk to people, kind mm. of uh, situation. That's why we have the robot advisors to kind of like do the first, first take of people, and then when you really still cannot get it, come to us. Just chat with us. We will figure everything out for you. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah, that's that's cool. That's cool. Um, okay. So, so uh, those who want to connect with uh, Regina can reach out, uh, or all Immortalize can reach out to you and also the website mm-hmm. as well. Um, so we go to the next section, which is the fun section, which is the random quick fire questions. All right. Yeah. So uh, it's going to take <laughs> scared. Okay, it's going to take a while only. Yeah. Right. Um, so just yeah. casual questions, nothing to do with Immortalize. Uh, nothing to do with you know right. uh, greed and passion and perseverance. Really random. So let's start. All right. Um, are you a morning or night person? Morning. And okay. night. I'm, I'm not an afternoon person, for sure. <laughs> like, afternoon, I just want to sleep. Like, kind of situation. But I wake up online, I do a lot. At night, I do a lot. It's just afternoon. So I'm morning and night, but not afternoon. Interesting. Okay, morning and night is not... Okay. Uh, so that's that's uh, when I could uh, reach out to you more, I guess. <laughs> what, is, what is your favorite book? Harry Potter, mm. for sure, hundred percent. Yeah, wow. you can do anything with. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, in okay. fact, I have a lot of Harry Potter stuff. Interesting. Uh, do you have the the wand? Okay. <laughs> the Harry I Potter wand. I, 
Are you serious? Yeah. For my 30th birthday party, I went as like a, a, a witch. Well, wizard kind of stuff. But yeah, I had the whole full robe thing. And in fact, like all my friends. Yeah. So anyway, it's out there in, on Instagram anyway. Okay. 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 Yeah. Um, so just sorry. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Sorry, I guess you need to cut that out. <laughs> yeah, I will cut that out as well. Yeah. No worries. Okay, this question. What is your favorite place? Country or city or location? Anything, anything. Can be anything. Home. 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 I'm a Chinese. Chinese, <laughs> okay. <laughs> now we know that's a Chinese. <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not a Chinese. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, uh, what are you what are you best at? Best at mm-hmm. um talking. <laughs> well, uh, well, okay, let's put it this way. I've grown to be best at trying to help people understand difficult things. I wasn't that when I was younger. I always get frustrated when people when people don't get my point of view, and I used to think it's that they are stupid kind of situation but right now you know then I realized actually one of my ex-boss told me the problem lies with me because uh, I should it's it's me that's supposed to be explaining to people my point of view not expecting other people to understand me so right now I think compared to a lot of people that's what I'm potentially better at okay cool uh, it brings me to a point where you know like um, context is more important than content, isn't it? Sometimes the context of it is more important right. than the actual content. Um, yeah. So that's something that I tell the NUS kids. Uh, sorry, not kids, but NUS because they're much <laughs> younger than me. <laughs> so okay, we're not going to go into that. We're not going to the age, uh, the age question. Yeah. Right? <laughs> okay, well, in any case, uh, yeah, because they are um, younger, I always basically uh, tell tell them that when they're trying to explain things to people, is you need to understand where someone is coming from, and basically it's the same information packaged differently to suit the listener's ear. That's one way better to negotiate, better to persuade, and better to kind of like present your stand. If you know where this person is coming from, then it's it's better to. So one thing that I always tell people, like you know, when I meet a new person, first fifteen minutes, I'm just mapping this person out. So that I can better explain, you know, what I'm trying to say. Like if I read a VCs, I'll ask them some questions, try to get, okay, where they're coming from, what they're exposed to and everything. So I know how to present my information in a way that they can understand. Yeah, totally, totally. Know your audience, isn't it? Right? You know, know your yeah. audience. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, what are you worst at? Uh, what am I worst at? I'm very impatient. Super mm. impatient. So the the... So that, that's also part of like, you know, why I like to automate things a lot. Like even when I was in Bloomberg and everything, I try to automate and make everything like there's some sort of process when it's especially something repetitive. If I have to do the same thing over and over and over again, I want to automate it. So that's a good part that comes out from impatience. But uh, the bad part is that when someone um, cannot catch up with me, I, I sometimes, I mean, when I was younger, I had this more uh, emotional management issue. I get very impatient very quickly and I snap snap really quickly. But as I grow older, I learn to be a bit more patient in terms of... I'm, I'm sure my friends would still say I'm not patient compared to average. But um, over time, I learn to be a bit more patient and I constantly remind myself to be more patient. Um, I think that's where my biggest weakness lies as in uh, everybody do things at a different pace. Doesn't mean it's not as good, but it's just different. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Okay, 
Well, I think there's some similarities between us. Uh. <laughs> is it a, is it a 19... Oh, simple birthday! Fun fact! So, Virginia and I have the, exactly the All same right. birthday! Like, okay, let's In do the... Year. Birth year, right? So, 14 October yeah, 1987. Alright, yeah. so we're we are going to get this uh, episode out on that very day. <laughs> if possible, that very week, maybe, right? Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, who, who do you admire the most in your life? Anybody. admire the most mm-hmm. so um actually there's a lot of people i mean there's steve mahush and a lot of people but if you really talk about one person that's truly impacted my life for example i would say it's my ex-boss his name is john liu okay i'm gonna say it out thanks to him because a lot of what he said when i was much younger much more impatient much more inexperienced had actually uh basically till today i remember like sometimes when i do things i face certain problems his words comes to my head so I think he has, he probably has one of the biggest impact on my life. Um, mm. Like, for example, take your time to do things right and not rush and get it wrong. So this is one thing that, that resonates with me all the time. When you, you know, when you're a startup, you have a million things to do. Sometimes you just need to take a breather, take a step back. Okay, what's my priority? Let's take time to get everything right instead of, you know, we're trying to rush and get it out and then you get it wrong all the time. And it's just a waste of time and day on day. So like little things like this, when he said to me when I was much younger, stays with me even till today wow interesting yeah. so during our journey in life we do face people that you know give us really precious advice right yeah. to kind of you know make some which is what i'm doing for the the nus students right now i'm hoping mm. that i could be the john liu for them as well like giving them um the bigger perspective on things because i realized that when you're younger you're you, because you don't see the bigger picture you're more focused on what you're doing right now but you don't see the bigger context of things so that's what i try to give them as in a bigger context of what they are doing and why it matters in a bigger context or you know how they should be thinking in the bigger t- context kind of stuff mm. so and and i was really lucky to have you know a lot of mentors and everyone who really helped me through my journey and that's kind of where I don't go in saying that I want to give back kind of stuff because I'm not altruistic to begin with. That's what I always say. But um, but I really appreciate those that helped me and I want to do the same for others. Hopefully, be the the ripple effect of their life. Yeah, I mean, that's where sometimes, you know, this whole um, ecosystem of mentorship comes in, right? I think right. Where, where we have kind of garnered the kind of, kind of experience over the past years and, and they are fresh grads coming every year anyway. And those are a bit... Sometimes they are low, sometimes they are young, you know, and, and it's, it's time to kind of kind of give back in a way to the society, right, in a way. Right. I mean, I always say Please. to the young younger generation is that, you mm. know, doesn't mean someone is older or more experienced means the person is right. You should listen, but yes. you should challenge uh, as well. I mean, that's that's what I, I think, you know. Totally, uh, yeah. totally. And mentorship is two-way, not one-way. Right, it's actually we, yes, we do learn right. we do learn something from younger chaps, right? Seriously, right? I mean, yeah, it's, I learned it's so much from them. I mean, the the way to view things has changed. Well, I'm not too sure whether I have changed because I've aged, or is it because they are bringing new perspective. But either way, it's a good learning point to see things from their point of view as well. And um, yeah, it's a mutual learning journey for for both sides. To be honest, it is. It is. It is. Cool. Um, so that's all for the random uh, quickfire questions. I think uh, I enjoy a lot uh, <laughs> chatting with you, Regina, and, and thanks for sharing your insights uh, and your passion for uh, Immortalize. I uh, hope to see right. a lot of things coming out from uh, Immortalize as well and uh, with your leadership uh, and your co-founder's leadership. Thank you so much for your time, Regina. Right. Okay. okay. Last word. 
Do your yes. estate plan. <laughs> oh, yes. Go to which website? www.immortalize.io Thank you, Regina. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Mm, bye-bye.